Have you ever been working yet it didn't really feel like work? Maybe you had a project and you just get lost in the fun of it. For teachers, that might seem like a rare occurrence because let's be real, the late nights, the ever-growing demands of the classroom, those kind of overshadow those fun times. If you're here tuning into this episode, it's likely that you've experienced those moments where teaching begins to blur into a cycle of never-ending to-do lists, inching dangerously close to workaholism. And that's something that we talked about in last episode, in episode 74. But what if we could rewrite that old saying. You know the one I'm talking about, the work hard, play harder one, more into work smarter and play harder. There's some extensive research that's been done on the idea of flow state. That's also known as being in the zone. And there's some positive impacts on reducing burnout, enhancing well-being, and really increasing that job satisfaction. But how can we reach that flow state in such high-stress classrooms? Well, It's by simply incorporating more play, not just for our students, but for us as educators. And I know that might seem scary, but in this episode, we get to chat with my friend Jed Derryberry, who is a huge inspiration to me. In my first years out of my bachelor's program, I met Jed substituting at his school, and I thought to myself, I want to be just like this guy as a teacher. And that's because he was having fun. He didn't seem bogged down. His kids were really happy to come to school, and his classroom was the epitome of the word play. So if you're ready to discover how to infuse your teaching with more joy and passion that comes from working smarter and playing harder, then stay with us because not only is Jed a hoot, but he is going to chat with us about how we can reach that state of flow by practically adding more play to our day without adding it to our to-do list. Jed began his educational career in 2001. He was featured in GQ magazine as male leader of the year. He met President Obama as the South Carolina honoree of the Presidential Award of Excellence in Math and Science Teaching and was a finalist for the South Carolina Teacher of the Year. In 2015, he began leading professional development across the country and training the next generation of educators through teaching in higher ed. He's published his first book, The Playful Classroom, in 2020, his second book, The Courageous Classroom, in July of 2021, and book number three, The Playful Life, was released in October of 2022. Seriously, if you're trying to reignite your passion for teaching and beat the burnout cycle, you will definitely want to listen to this episode. So let's not waste any time and let's get into it. Hey, teacher friends, welcome to the Resilient Teacher Podcast, your one-stop shop for beating the teacher burnout cycle once and for all. Whether you're searching for inspiration, sustainable strategies, ways to reignite your passion for teaching, or just how to live your best teacher life without sacrificing your personal life, you are in the right place. No cookie cutter solutions here, just real, raw experiences and tips from other teachers who've been there, done that, to remind you, you are not alone. I'm Brittany, your host, a special educator at heart, instructional coach, mom slash bonus mom of five kids, and teacher burnout and sustainability strategist with my agency, Teaching Mind, Body, and Soul. I am on a mission to inspire educators to prioritize their mental health and individualize burnout prevention and recovery so that they can live a balanced, filling life inside and outside of the classroom. Each week, I'll be sharing tips, strategies, and discussing the hot topics in teacher burnout with other teachers so that you can transform your life from chaos to confidence. On this podcast, we believe in supporting and uplifting one another to heal the system from the inside out. So let me remind you that you too are a resilient teacher.
I am so excited to have Jed Bear here on the show. Welcome. I'm so excited to be here, Brittany. Thank you for having me. Before the show started, we, I found out we're basically neighbors. We live just yeah. right down the road. I, I had no idea. I honestly had no idea that we were that close to each other. So it's pretty cool to now be on your show. Yeah, we're just a hop, skip, and a jump away yeah. from each other. Yeah, we really are. And I shared this in your introduction, but true story, when I first started teaching, I had the pleasure of being a substitute teacher at the school that you worked in right after I graduated with my bachelor's mm-hmm. degree. Yeah. And I can remember specifically thinking, I want to be like Jed Derryberry when I grow up. Oh, wow. Well, <laughs> you were a huge, you were a huge inspiration to me. And I just, I wanted to be like you were as a teacher. So I'd love for you to share just a little bit about your your teaching journey, what led you to writing books and working in higher ed. Wow. Brittany, first, thank you for that compliment. That is such a such a high compliment coming from a peer who was in the building. And honestly, you know, I went to work every day and did my thing. And I didn't know if anybody was even paying me any attention. <laughs> I didn't think they were, you know. Yeah. And in this rent one random year, I won like all these teaching awards. And so I was like, well, I guess somebody's paying attention. And then that was about, to answer your question, that was about the time I started working in higher ed. It was around, well, around 2010, 2011, somewhere in there. So a little bit before the awards, but I went into higher ed because I just loved teaching teachers how to do what we do. I think I thought there were a lot of people out there who weren't doing it the best way. Right, and I wanted to throw in my expertise of of expertise of how to train teachers of what they needed to be looking at and focus on because I think too much of us were focusing on the wrong things of teaching instead of the heart of teaching and and I and I really wanted to be a part of that and that's also what led to the books that Julie and I have written and the one that I wrote with Dr. Taylor. It was all in an effort to help teachers. I would say see a different path in education because I think one of the paths that we see when our pre-service training, it's it's very traditional. It's the same way we've always been taught. Yeah. And I didn't want to I didn't want to perpetuate that. So I wanted to show, hey, there's different ways to do this thing and let's look at it and see which one you want to do. You know, give give those pre-service teachers options of which teacher they want to be and equip them for both pathways, you know. So, so that's kind of how I got into higher ed. I've been a teacher since 2001. I, a lot of people say, well, I thought you didn't have your own classroom in 2003. That is true. I was an assistant in 2001. And I dare you to tell me not to count that year um, <laughs> <laughs> because I will come back at you real fast and tell you that I worked just as hard, if not harder, as an assistant than I did yeah. my first year teaching. Teaching assistants are the most undervalued part of our profession, I would say. You know, if you talk to a new teacher or talk to a veteran teacher, the first thing they'll tell you when you start is to make friends with the custodian, the secretary, and the lunch ladies, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Make friends with those people. But I'm telling you right now, make friends with every teaching assistant in that building because they can get stuff done that nobody else can get done. And so I started my journey in 2001 as a first grade assistant I got my own classroom in 2003, first grade. I taught there for, I taught in that classroom for four years. Then I rolled into second grade for the rest of my elementary tenure. I did loop to third grade one year, but yeah, I've been in this journey now for the, the start of my 23rd year. And I absolutely love the work I'm doing in higher ed and the, the help that my books are providing to 
my college students, but also teachers across the country. There, I get I hear hear stuff every day about how the books are re reinvigorating their teaching, and it's it, it it does your heart good to know that your work is connecting with people out there. It's interesting that you said that about you know you realize that what was happening like in teacher prep programs just wasn't working well. It had been done traditionally the same way all like all the time. And I can remember having a class with Dr. Julie Jones, who Mm -hmm. is part of, you know, like y'all are great friends. And she was the change that I saw. Like I took a technology class with her Mm -hmm. and now I'm like, you know, a super techie person now just because I took her class. But I think about that and I hear you say, you know, like it was done the same old way. That's exactly why I started my podcast. Why Mm -hmm. I started doing the things on social media was because I knew that people were talking about self-care, but they were just saying like these blanket statements, like you got to take care of yourself. You you can't burn out, (laughs) but they were never giving like individualized supports and things Mm -hmm. like that. And so I was like, I've, I've got to bring what I know, what my Mm -hmm. expertise is Mm -hmm. and bring it to teachers so that they know that Mm -hmm. there's not just one way of doing things, that it's really an individualized process. So like kind of talking on that a little bit, did you ever experience burnout as a teacher? Oh, oh gosh. <laughs> yes, I did. Many times I would, you know, leave the building so incredibly frustrated because not just the, of what I was doing, I felt like the system as a whole yeah. was was would sometimes limit the ideas and the dreams that I had. Now, I will say the principal that I worked for, the bulk of my career was my biggest cheerleader. She was the one who always encouraged me to go after those things and and try fun, exciting experiments and hands-on learning. Like she never, I never once felt like she held me back, but I felt like the system as a whole, when I would look at my peers who were doing the same thing they'd done for 10 years in a row and they didn't want to try new things. And when I tried new things, they shamed me and guilted me and, and belittled me. You know, I worked with a couple of ladies one year who they were, they just, were so hyper-focused on the standards. They were like, oh, we've got all these standards we got to cover. And I was like, you know, you can cover those standards in fun, energetic, you know, our, our Julie and I say meaningful, relevant, and fun. You can cover those standards in meaningful, relevant, and fun ways. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be all sit and get and cram it all in their head. And, you know, most of those kids probably don't remember any of the information that, you know, was crammed into them. Now, at the same token, sometimes, Kids might have forgot the information that I taught them, but they didn't forget how I made them feel. And yeah. they didn't forget the excitement that I brought to it. You know, none of us remember everything the first time we learn it. That's why if you look at our standards, a lot of the standards are replicated throughout elementary school, right? South Carolina history, for example, you you learn it in elementary school, you learn it again in, in junior high, middle grades, right? And And then odds are you learn it again, even in U.S. history, as you talk about, you know, so Mm -hmm. so nobody nobody's going to learn it the first time. Multiplication tables. I think the multiplication facts now start at the end of second grade Mm -hmm. and you go all the way through what middle school. You're still learning. You're still practicing, applying them. And so I want to make sure that any way that I bring the learning is meaningful, relevant and fun, because in my research, we've 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 learned that the neuroscience of meaningful, relevant, and fun learning, it it helps the learning to stick in a different way than just that rote memorization. I remember one time in college, I studied 14 hours straight 
for an exam that I had to have at least a D on to pass the course. Okay. We're just being honest here. It was a rough course. And I crammed all that information in there in those 14 hours. I made a B on the exam. I passed the class. Ask me anything from that class. And I cannot tell you. I cannot tell you the answer. Don't ask me. (laughs) I crammed it in there to get through that test. And then we moved on. But that's not learning. That's not learning. And that's learning. That was me playing a game of test taking. Yeah. And if we want to make learning stick, we've got to make it meaningful, relevant and fun. And neuroscience supports that. So that's that's the bulk of our work. And that's why we wanted to back to your question, though. Did I experience burnout? Yes. And it was that burnout that is what led me to this work. How can I help other people avoid that by by make, by focusing on the work of meaningful, relevant and fun? It lessens the burnout. Now, there's still going to be times where the workload of being a teacher just wears you out. It's so much. And we do have to protect ourselves against that. And I think one of the things that helped me was I tried to create a classroom space that brought me joy, that made me happy to be in. Everything from the walls and the, what I had on them through the organization of how I had the, the tables and desks organized, you know, all that stuff played into lessening my burnout. Because when I walked in my room, in my classroom, I wanted it to be a space that brought me you know, a little bit of peace. You, I don't know if your viewers or if your listeners get to see us. I don't know how you put this out there in the world, but you see my office here brought the same joy and happiness. This is my home office. I'm at home. This is my guest bedroom. We don't we don't have any guests that ever come. So I just turned it into a, a be, an office. Same. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, if I gave you a little tour, I'll just spin you around. You're on a you're on a stand up desk. So I'll give you a little tour here. But you see there's a wall of golden girls right here. And we keep spinning around. There's a little rainbow Christmas tree there in my front bedroom, Uh, a a fun little corner of some stuffed animals, a little whiteboard that says big magic. Sometimes I do live events right there. And then we're back to where we started. (laughs) But, you know, I created this this space that, you know, that I would want to work in and create in. And that's what I did in my classroom. Because that lessened the burnout. If I was happy in my space, it, it could help me, you know, refocus, center on the work and, and, and forget about all the things that were outside of those walls. Yeah. And I think that that's a big piece of autonomy because you, you touched on it a little bit, like multiple times when you were talking, like you, you want to be able to do what you feel like is best for mm-hmm. your kids, not mm-hmm. those standards. When you're making mm-hmm. it meaningful, relevant and fun, like you said, mm-hmm. you're, you're bringing that piece of autonomy, your individual individuality to your classroom and making it a place that's fun and enjoyable and that mm-hmm. feels good for you, that's going to translate to your kids over and over. And, you know, we you, ha- you wrote this book called The Playful Classroom, and then you wrote the mm-hmm. second book that really sticks out to me, The Playful Life. Um, right. I think so often, like, we think of play as limited to kids, you know, mm-hmm. and we often mm-hmm. see the impact of play. And I, I want to keep it, we want to keep it for those younger students and things like that. But your book emphasizes it, like, as important for adults. So can you share a little bit about why that playfulness is important and relevant and necessary and fun for? Yes. Well, we, I'll tell you what really got us going here. We started digging into the research, the work of Dr. Stuart Brown. He is probably 
the nation's leading play researcher. He's 90 years old. He's been researching play for, you know, almost 70 years now. And the bulk of his work has been researching play in adults, what it does to our mood, what it does to our health, what it does to our mental well-being. And when you look at society, and when I say society, I'm talking here about adult society. When you look at adult society as a whole, we have gotten ourselves so wrapped up in work that yeah. we have forgotten. We have forgotten that that we're that's not what we were created to do. We we are literally created to create, right? Yes. I, you, if you look back through our human history, even even hieroglyphics on a cave wall, it was it was it was created right to communicate. Right. And so we, that's literally like, we're, that's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be making the world better through our, what we give back to it. And, and the work sometimes is we, we have to work because we got to make money. Right. And right. so, but there's got to be a balance of that because it, we're losing part of who we are. And when we wrote the book, The Playful Life, it was the, liter- the second one. The Playful Classroom was specifically for like how to make learning more fun, the power of play for all ages. But we wrote The Playful Life because so many people said, yeah, this is great for our classroom, but I need this for my everyday life. Can you put it into some context? And so we talk about how to make doing the laundry more fun, how to make the work commute more fun, how to how to spruce up your office cubicle if you're stuck in that place all day, every day, you know, because when we got into the research of Dr. Stuart Brown and we realized, you know, this increases our serotonin, our dopamine, our catecholamines, all these things that all these neurotransmitters that are released in our body when we have playfulness around us, guess what? It makes us better at the work. It makes us better at the creativity. It makes us better at our relationships. I can tell you just from my own personal experience, when I put these playful practices in place in my life, it, it, it changes my whole body chemistry. I can feel the stress leave. I can feel my blood pressure go down, you know? When you, when you, we spend a lot of our time in life sitting in lines at the grocery store, at the, at the, at the bank, at, at, you know, at the doctor's office, we're always sitting and waiting. Right. Mm -hmm. And our, our go-to these days is, has been a phone. That's true. Mm -hmm. You know, we have, we use our phone and that is, that can sometimes be a little bit of a distraction, a moment of play, but we get addicted to it. I take a book with me wherever I go. Because so I can play through reading. My great friend, an artist, an art teacher named Cassie Stevens, she takes like you know little makeup bags, little pouches, zippered pouches, and she puts little yeah. art material. She puts little art materials in them, and she just grabs a bag when she walks out the door. And so if she's sitting at a, in, at a doctor's office waiting, or you know, she can make a little art. You know, she's got a little colored pencil, little pad, and just little things like that can just add so much joy to the day that distracts you from the mundane, but also take it a step further, how to make the work you're doing playful. We talk, I mentioned laundry, turn that laundry basket, turn that laundry basket into a basketball goal. And every time you match a pair of socks, you know, shoot it over there. Time yourself while while you're folding the shirt. See if you can beat your personal record for how fast you fold the shirt, you know, and make sure, give it, give it parameters. It's gotta be really folded. Yeah. So, something that I always try to do is I try to figure out new and fun ways to fold my clothes that might be better beneficial for my shelf space, right? Yeah. 
And also to make it more economical, like time-wise, while I'm getting ready. I know this is going to sound silly to some of your listeners, but <laughs> so I I go for a walk every single morning. I go for a three-mile walk every single morning. Jed walks. Uh, yep. Yep. Jed walks. Yes. You see on Instagram. <laughs> I go every single day. I haven't been today, so I'm going to sit. That's why I'm wearing my hat. I'm ready to go as soon as, as, soon as we get done. But I started putting my like athletic socks in the pocket of my running, walking, athletic shorts. So yep. that every morning I just have one thing to grab instead of shorts and socks. They're already in the pocket. <laughs> and I feel I like it's it. just, I feel like it's changed my life. I just reach in the drawer, shoo, there it is. Shorts, there it socks, is. Let's, let's go, right? Yeah. I don't know. It, but that came from being playful with my laundry. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, kids uh, do that all the time, though. You know, kids will make things fun just by, you know, my stepson will throw things into a hoop and make it a basketball, yeah, kick yeah. it around, make it a soccer ball. And mm-hmm. we lose that as adults. Like we, we, we think because we're adults that we can't have fun and we can't play. And I love that you're just kind of bringing up all these different ways that we can do it because we yeah. lose that somewhere along the, the well, way. You know? and I'm going to, I'm going to help shift your mindset just a little bit right here. I'm going to tell you, you didn't lose it. You yeah. didn't lose it. It was beat out of you, Brittany. Oh, God. It was, be- it was, it was beaten out of you. You were told as an adult, this is the way you, this is the way you do. You didn't lose it. It was, right. it, I would, I would say it was taken from you. Honestly, it was taken from you because our society has, they see play as something just for the little kids. Yeah. Look at, and, and it starts as early. I mean, I think it starts around third grade. When like state testing comes into play, teachers take things a little more serious. We don't have time for all that, you know, but even look at sixth grade, most schools, most schools, sixth grade and up, if you're out of the elementary school that you don't have any recess, you don't have any recess. Most schools at that age, you get 10 or 15 minutes to socialize after lunch, which you're, you're outside on the asphalt or the concrete patio. And And there's no play equipment. Look, I'm telling yeah. you right now, if high schools across America, if high schools across America would put playgrounds that were appropriate size for juniors and seniors, you know, I promise yeah. you grades would go up, test scores would go up, I'll, I'll, the mental health would be improved because those kids, don't, look, they want to play. They want to do yeah. those things. Several years ago, I never will forget this. I went to a, a school in the county next to where we live. And I did a, just a little simple experience, but I used markers instead mm-hmm. of pencils. And we u- used white paper instead of notebook paper. And at the end, each, each student who was a senior in high school had this little neat piece of artwork that they had made with their friends. And this guy, he was like, I don't know, like a defensive player on the, the football team at the high school. He was like, man, this was awesome. I haven't colored since I was in the fifth grade. Oh. And my my heart broke because I thought. Yeah, mine where, did just now. I mean, like, I'm sad that in his daily life, he never had opportunity to color. But in his school life, there was no coloring. There was no, like, it just broke my heart that in his learning journey, that was the first time in seven years that he had had markers as a tool. Now, I'm sure some people would listen to, oh, well, I'm sure he had opportunities he just forgot. But imagine if they were meaningful and relevant and fun, he wasn't going to forget them, you know? Right. And right. so I just, 
could you think about your own journey? You know, we remember those meaningful, relevant and fun times, you know, and yeah. sadly, sadly, I remember them happening in the teacher across the hall more than they did. My, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I just, I, I think about that kid every day. He's probably, well, I mean, this was, this was 10 years ago that that happened. So he, who knows, he may be a dad by now, you know, it's been 10 years, yeah. he's probably mar- married with his own kid. But I think about him all the time and I hope wherever, wherever he's at, he's coloring even right now. <laughs> <laughs> that he's just bringing markers to work. And I hope just so. I yes. hope so, so bad. I hope so, so bad. Yeah. Yeah. So like, okay, what, do you have any suggestions about like how teachers can help reduce that burnout by adding some play maybe to their workday and then maybe to home. I know you talked a little bit about like laundry and things like Mm. that, but like what are some ways that teachers could just like start implementing a little bit of play so it's not overwhelming and they're not like, I've got to play, you know, right? some people will do that when they, when they get into like self-care and things like that, they're like, well, I got to put it on my to-do list. How can they make it a little bit more fun? You know, you, you set me up so great there. Cause there's two things I want to say. One play. And I say this all the time. It's in both of our books. Play is not one more thing on the plate, but it is the plate. Ah. So think of, think of all the things that you have to do and put it on a playful plate. Don't take, play and put it on the plate with all the other things thinking, Oh, that's one more thing I've got to get done. Think of all the things that you have to do and think of a playful way to do them that it is the plate. Yeah. And the next, and the next thing I tell people, cause I don't want you to become burnt out trying to bring more play into your life. Right. <laughs> you right. have to, you have to start so very small, look for the nooks and crannies of your day. Especially if, you know, teachers listening to this, I tell them to look, don't, don't try to rewrite your whole science curriculum tomorrow. That will burn you out. Okay. Don't try to, don't try to go to your grade level team and say, Hey, our social studies curriculum, it needs help. You know, don't do that. Look at your nook and cranny, like the five, 10 minutes while students are coming into the classroom in the morning. What can you do with that time? The two minutes that you transition from writing in your journals to starting math, what can you do in that two minutes to bring a little dose of play? And then as you start to fill in the nooks and crannies, what happens is you will start to see the results and you will want to start to add it to more things. And and I tell people this all the time with with the work that Julie and I do. I promise you, it was not like we just said, oh, we're just going to sit around and be playful all day. No. We were teaching. We were. I was building a business of working with teachers across the country. Like it was hard work, and I had to think. Okay, when I am walking through the airport to go to my next thing, how can I make that walk more playful? You know, and and I found myself making up music to my steps as I walked. Like I would feel a beat, boom, 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 and next thing I know, I was writing a little song. You know, that was yeah. the way I found some of you. That might not sound playful to you. You have to figure out what to do with the nook and cranny on your own that will make it more playful, right? And when you when you focus on those little small pieces and you do those over time, then, you know, two, three years from now, you're going to turn around a little back and you're going to be like, wow, look at all this play that I've infused in my life. And you did it one little nook and cranny at a time. Yeah. That's, that is the reason why we mentioned laundry. Because it's something that everybody has to do, you know, everybody has to do laundry, right? 
Even if you only yeah. have, you know, three outfits, you got to wash them, right? You got to clean them. You got to, you know, whatever. And so that's a nook and cranny, fixing dinner, washing dishes, walking to the mailbox, walking to the mailbox is a, is a nook and cranny. Instead of just walk, skip one day, hop one day, twirl one day. Now, the first few times you do it, I promise you, you're going to feel like a fool and be worried about your neighbors looking at you, right? Yeah, I can see people thinking that too. Yeah, they're <laughs> going to. The odds are, though, nobody's really looking at you, right? That's the right, thing. We right. always think they are. But here's the thing. Then they're going to notice. I wonder why they're doing that. I wonder why they're doing that. And then they're going to say, why are you doing that? And you say, I want to be more playful. I want to have, I want to enjoy my life. You know, I want to make it. And then your neighbor is contagious. You're going to look out your window one day and your neighbor's going to be skipping to the mailbox. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's, that's the best advice I can give is to start small and look at those nooks and crannies because it really will bring big change when you, when you start small. Yeah. And it's funny that you said that because I was on, I had to go to a school in Ohio the other day and do a mm-hmm. professional development session. And I was doing that in the, in the, in the airport, walking down mm-hmm. the airport in Charlotte, yeah. which is yeah. awful. It's, it yeah. stresses me out to be in those areas. So yeah. I was making a song while I was yeah. walking. And it's so yeah. funny that you said that because I thought if anybody could be in my head right now, they'd be like, what? what you know <laughs> and and you know people think that when you're doing these things and they they look a certain way you know mm-hmm. oh well i'm really worried about what everybody's thinking and the truth of the matter is is that that kind of behavior that that thought process that's that's really contagious you know mm-hmm. like you said your neighbor's going to be doing it the next day and, and it's going to be this chain reaction that is really powerful but for that teacher who's like i'm worried that i won't look professional Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. do you have any suggestions for how you can still be like professional and incorporate play? You know, I, I, I have so much beef with the word professional. <laughs> At the heart of it, professional is really just one person's opinion about how you should or shouldn't behave. I think yeah. about the the former districts, district where I worked, you know. They were very big on professionalism, but behind the scenes, so much of what they did was so unprofessional. Mm-hmm. You know, Amen. they they were worried about outward appearances. Yeah, but you know, I, I don't want to get I don't want to get uh, super spiritual or religious. But I grew up in the Christian faith, and and I was I remember a verse that I was taught very early on. It says, "Man looks at out at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart." And and I I have just really held on to that my whole entire life. God knows my heart and and people who know me know my heart. And the whole, I, like, I think I look professional today. I got a nice yes. little collared button up. I am wearing a hat. Some people would say, oh, hats are unprofessional. But, but hats, really? How? But let's talk about, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know because somewhere in history, we were taught, oh, if you're inside, you should have a hat off. You know, you shouldn't wear a hat inside. I don't even know where that comes from. It's It's not relevant to today. For me, I'm thinking about people who may be losing hair because of alopecia. They maybe have lost lost their hair because of cancer treatment. They may have had stitches in their head from an accident over the, over the weekend. And there may have a big, they may, or they may just not like their hair. Right. And And a hat makes them feel more confident, more comfortable. Why is a hat deemed unprofessional? I don't know, but it is. So, yeah. so I got, so I have so much beef with that word, 
of course, I know there are societal norms that we have to follow in certain places. And, but I try every day to, to push those and to ask the question, why, why, mm-hmm. you know, why is this professional? And a lot of it, I mean, there's a lot of history of the word professionalism has some, some historically racist, you know, overtones, you know, professionalism, yeah. professionalism in a lot of circles is just another word for whiteness, you know, are you mm-hmm. going to follow the white norm? And so I think that's why I have problems with that word. And, yeah. um, you know, I can't imagine that it would be unprofessional for me to hop to my driveway. Like it's my driveway. Right. <laughs> I'm, just <hopping laughs> I'm making it fun. Right. If right. You, if, you, if you saw a five-year-old do it, you'd be like, Oh, look, that's cute. Look at him. Fun, right. Yeah. Why can't I have that same amount of fun? I mean, you know, we only live one time and I want to make the most of that. And I don't want to do it falling in line with these norms that are robbing me of joy, that are robbing me of brain benefits, health benefits. You know, I think, you know, the biggest thing for us when we really dug into the neuroscience of of how playful living helps your entire body. It's it's just a shame that we have shunned it so much as adults. Yeah. Um, the reality is adults do play. They just don't call it play. Like we love to go on vacation, right? We love to go to Disney yeah. World. We lo- love to go hiking in the mountains. Those are forms of play. I think a lot of it for adults is they're worried like about this dignity. Like they may lose their dignity if they hop to the mailbox, right? Um, yeah. But for me, if I saw you hop into the mailbox, you're your dignity goes way up with me because that means you put off. <laughs> That's a friend. Care. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. You know, in, in your book, you talked about like how, you know, playful living can contribute to healing past traumas, mm-hmm. compassion fatigue even, and promoting mm-hmm. personal growth among educators. Can you talk a little bit more about that a little bit too? Yeah. So I, I don't know if you know this, but in between the playful classroom and the playful life, I wrote a book with another author. Her name is Janet Taylor, Dr. Janet Taylor. She is a psychiatrist from Florida. And the book is called The Courageous Classroom, Creating a Culture of Safety for Students to Learn and Thrive. I sometimes forget the right wording of that subtitle, but the book is all about fear and trauma and how it's affected our students, but also how it's affected us as teachers, both as we deal with student trauma, but also Mm -hmm. as we reflect on our own trauma that comes into the classroom with us. And honestly, the books I wrote, The Playful Classroom, The Courageous Classroom, The Playful Life, I kind of wish I would have written The Courageous Classroom first because the answer to helping that trauma heal is, is play. Play through the arts, play through recreation, play through exploration, play through community, all these different ways to play. It all helps in the healing of the trauma because our brain is beautiful and it has the power to heal. It has neuroplasticity, which literally means that it can rewire itself. And, you know, it's it's crazy that we're talking about this because just this morning uh, we had a, a breakfast with my sister and my grandma and my mom, because it's my sister's 40th birthday today. So we took her out for early breakfast before we got on here. And we were talking about some things. And I learned about some some pretty, you know, deep trauma that happened to my great grandmother. 
And I never knew about it until this morning. And she carried that with her her whole life, you know, and I couldn't fathom how deep that hurt and pain was. But then I also remember how playful she was. She was a very playful person. She she loved to play bingo. You know, she loved to sing and and those things. I really believe I think those things are what helped her to carry the weight of that trauma and, and, and heal her brain from it. And I just, when I look back and think on of the memories that she was carrying that at the same time she was playing, I think the play is what helped her to care, you know, to make it through. Yeah. Um, and, and I look back at my family history, you know, my mom, she is one of the most playful people I know. She has a room like this in her house. It's, it's a, the, the bonus room, you know, the big bonus room in her house is this big old play space. She still, yeah. my mom, my mom is 65 years old and she still has a Barbie house and she decorates, she decorates the Barbie house for whatever season it is. Like she's putting little mini pumpkins all in the Barbie house right now. Um, <laughs> I love so that's, that. That's the way she is, you know, and, and it spilled over into my sister and I, and that's spilling over into my sister's kids, you know, and, and we just, I don't know. Play helps you work through those traumatic moments. And of course, I'm a big fan of therapy. I go every other Tuesday. Don't try to do it by yourself. Don't try to do it by yourself. You know, find a (laughs) friend. I'm not a therapist, so no, I'm not giving anybody (laughs) official therapy advice. But it does does help to work through trauma, you know? It's funny that you said that about therapy too, because we looked into a play therapy for my daughter when I went through my divorce. Like mm-hmm. he, she start. We looked for a play therapist. We wanted to find somebody who was really into that because mm-hmm. kids don't know how to talk about mm-hmm. things, but mm-hmm. they do know how to play. Yeah. And I think that adults are the same way. Like yeah. we, we often like my husband uses art to mm-hmm. really go through things. I use writing and that's just the way that we really are able to process the way that we think sometimes because we can't, what's the word I want to use? We can't like rationalize our thoughts until we can really process them. That's not the way that I want to say it, Uh, but, but you get what I'm going with here. And so I just, I love that you even that you brought that up and especially about your grandma, because now yeah. that's getting me thinking about how my grandmother mm-hmm. plays, like yeah. she makes cards and does those mm-hmm. types of things. Yeah. And so just crafting and things like that, those are, those are great ways to really that's, just keep play mm-hmm. at the forefront. You know, we, we really do have more play in our adulthood than I think we're aware of. Because like mm-hmm. I said, it's, it's play has been taken from us. We've been taught that it, we're not playing. And we, so another point of our playful life book was we wanted to help redefine play, re-image play, if you will, in adulthood so that other people could see, Hey, I I do play. And this is a form of play and I can be intentional about it. I can say, Hey, I'm blocking off time to play today. You know, Mm -hmm. there's play dates are powerful, not just for kids, but for grownups as well. Um, yeah. and, st- and the more you're intentional about it, I think the more you become aware of the benefits of it, the the happier you are to be intentional, you know, blocking out that time. Yeah. So, Jed, I just want to thank you so much 
for taking the time today to hang out with me and talk more about this because it is really powerful. I'm going to put the links to your books in the show notes. That way people can go and grab them because I just know that there's going to be, I mean, I I have one friend, Miss Mattisack, she posted Mm -hmm. your book and she's been putting it in her stories and things like that. And I thought, oh my gosh, that is so cool that, you know, your book is making it to other people and stuff like that. But I just know that- you know, I just know that there's going to be some teachers out there listening. Like, I need to get that playful classroom book. Yeah. I need to get that playful yeah. life books. So we'll put that in the the show notes for everybody to go and grab. But can you share a little bit about where teachers can learn more from you? Maybe like where they can find you on social media. What teachers can expect from you know learning from you as they follow you on social media? So the best the best place obviously is social media. The social media platform that I am most into at the moment would be Instagram. I'm just, I love Instagram. I love the, it just feels very different for me there than other platforms. So I'm at Mr. Derryberry. You probably won't know how to spell my name unless you see it in the show notes, but it's pronounced dairy like a cow, berry like a fruit, but it's just not spelled that way. But if you typed in Jed Derryberry of any form of any combination, I'm sure you'll find it online. I also have a website, mrderryberry.com which has information about all the workshops and consulting that I do. If your school maybe wants to reach out and and talk about that, you can order books there as well. Also, Julie and I have our, we have a podcast called We Are, We Are Playful. It's a different kind of podcast. We, We don't have guests. We literally just turn on the phone and start recording our conversation at the coffee shop or at lunch or at Walmart, wherever we may be. And we just are talking. And sometimes it's very silly banter. Julie and I have a relationship much like a brother and sister. And so if you have a sibling, I think you will definitely realize very quickly that our banter is sibling-ish. Like we mm-hmm. cut each other, we cut each other off, we interrupt each other, we <laughs> sass each other. That, you know, it's just how we are. It's it's our, our fun relationship. But we talk about the power of play in our lives, how we're playing each and every day. We'd love to connect with you there. We are playful. Also, I have a new adventure out there in the world. I've been a doodler for a long time, and I have decided to start selling my clip art graphics. All teachers pay teachers. So if anybody wants, the shop is Jed Creates. But if you search at Mr. Derby, you'll find it too. But I've got like 10 sets of doodles in there that you can use those clip arts and all your fun things. So go check that out too. It's a brand new adventure. I just started just a month ago. So. Yes, I'm going to put check, all of that in the yeah. show notes too, because yeah. check it we've out. got a lot of teachers pay teachers friends out there. But yes. thank you so much again, Jed. It was really like a full circle moment for me to yeah. get to interv- interview you on my podcast after you yes. influenced me so much in the beginning. So I just want to thank you so much for being a part well, of this. You're more than welcome. Congrats to you on all your success. And I look forward to seeing the episode when it drops. Yeah. Before you go, head over to teachingmindbodyandsoul.com slash podcast to check out any links, freebies, and resources discussed in this episode so that you can start recovering from or preventing burnout and reigniting your passion for teaching. If you liked this episode and it helped you or made you think in any way, I know it will be for other educators too. So subscribe and leave a review so more educators can find this community as well. Did you know that you can have an incredible impact on the teachers in your life? That's right. All you have to do is share what you learned today. Take a screenshot of the episode you're listening to and tell 
tag me and post it in your stories. What do you say that we start creating a trail for more teachers around us so that we can start to make the change in the system of education, how teachers are seen and respected, and for ourselves? I look forward to connecting with you more on Instagram at Teaching Mind, Body, and Soul or TikTok at Miss Princess Teach. I am always looking for an excuse to chat more about burnout, resilience, and teacher support. I'll see you in the next episode.